Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. Are we getting cinematic on your couch? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, as you would say, Miss Perfect. Boom. <laughs> yeah, but you always oh. say, let's get cinematic. And I thought, you know what? I haven't heard it. I want to hear it's it. All these, it's all these fancy new buttons and things we have to press. I just get so easily distracted. That's what it is. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I think it's always good to shake things up a little bit. Am I right? <laughs> Indeed, indeed. In fact, you know what, shaking things up, that could that leads us nicely into the topic of our first film that's being released on digital this week. Um, so St. Francis, this was going to come out a couple of weeks ago, and I was really bummed that we didn't get to cover it, because there was just a lot out that week, and I thought, I'll have to pick this other one instead. So, as it happens, we now get to cover it because, you know, we've got the wonderful COVID release schedule, where things can be moved <laughs> at a moment's notice. At know? a moment's notice, yeah. Yeah, you, you, think, you think things are going to appear one week, they don't appear, and then they turn up two weeks later. I think we've had to review the same DVD release two or three times now. How many times has Fantasy Island been released on DVD since lockdown? Almost as much as Netflix turns around the same old acquired TV show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Scoob has had three release dates this whole period. But anyway, not, not the point. St. Francis is finally here, I'm told, allegedly, from today. So from <laughs> Friday, July the 24th, today you can finally see St. Francis, which is, um, this is a movie written by and starring Kelly O'Sullivan. If I were going to describe it, I would describe it as what you get effectively if you combine Trainwreck with The Florida Project. C could you imagine? It sounds like my kind of movie, to be honest. I love Trainwreck. Um, and I, I'm not really familiar with Kelly O'Sullivan, but I, I'm thinking Amy Schumer now, so. <laughs> well, this is the thing. So, right, so the idea is that this is played as a sort of, you know, in, in HBO's Girls kind of a universe. It's very hipster, it's very dowdy, it's very art house friendly, it's very festival friendly. So the idea is you've got Bridget, who's a 34-year-old woman. She's uh, a bit da bit downtrodden, a bit wayward. She's a bit haphazard, loves to drink to blacking out point, really has no direction in her life whatsoever. And she takes on a job nannying for a six-year-old girl named Frances, hence the, the clever title, although she's not actually a saint. And it is about how nannying Frances, who is just the most wonderfully precocious little bit of wit with two legs, um, she discovers a sort of sense of purpose and place that she hadn't really ever considered before. She finds herself opening up emotionally to both, you know, adults and kids in a way that she just never thought herself possible. And it all has to do with firstly this job, but also herself going through a pregnancy and subsequent abortion. You scared me. Y'all look pretty scary yourselves. How you doing? Francis is over. I'm going jet now. Well, Joan, let's go get you cleaned up. It's not coming off. I think it's waterproof. Did you use your mascara on her? You really shouldn't have done that because Franny had pink eye this weekend. Pink eye means you got poop in your eye. Yes, it does. I can never get her to nap. I don't give her a choice. It's interesting with movies like this because during lockdown, like, you know, there's obviously so much on offer for people to watch. And films like this, which, 
you know, on a if it got a wider bit of marketing around it would appeal mm. to a lot of people. And I'm wondering if this is going to sadly fall by the wayside because not enough people are going to know about this. Well, on the other hand, I tend to think that at the moment, whilst it's possible we don't have the standard multiplex offering to sort of sift through, something like this being released on digital has got more of a chance than it would otherwise. And also, if you were like, it's then more reliant, I think, on TV marketing as well. And I think TV marketing will send this up as being a lot more comedic than it is. This does air definitely more on the drama side of dramedy. But to be absolutely fair to it, I mean, it packs this breeziness that allows it to sort of squeeze out maximum poignancy, but without ever being particularly laboured. Because again, it's still, you know, it's an indie drama. Um, you could say it is the, you could you could sort of see it as the sort of festival-friendly train wreck, by all means. Um, yeah. There is a fair bit of that in there. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff in it. There's a lot of, of a fun had the sort of faux wokeness of it. I mean, there's a line literally at one point in which I think uh, O'Sullivan comes out with, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm an agnostic feminist, damn it. <laughs> you're like, I love that. that. That's exactly where I want you to go with this. Um, perfect perfect uh, comparison point would be a sort of halfway mark between uh, a train wreck and Florida Project, which Florida Project was from the guy who did uh, Tangerine. Did Sean right. Baker who did Tangerine a few years ago with the iPhones. Um, fairly good performance from O'Sullivan. I think she's a better writer than she is a performer, but I think a lot of that has to do with the, sort of the baseline deadpan dowdiness of the character, I think. But in the chemistry with, I think it's Ramona Edith Williams off the yeah. top of my head. I've got this written down somewhere. Um, who plays the young Francis. Bringing that precocious wit to the table, there's just bags of heart in there. I had a great time with this. I thought this was a really good movie. I mean, two, um, two massive thumbs up from me. Oh, that's good. And I was just going to say, being able to bring that kind of precocious nature and time the comedy right at like probably six years old is a real <laughs> you know, ability for any child to be. She's an unknown, naturally, as well. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So that's brilliant. Two thumbs up. Really enjoyed it from Van. Moving on to what I like to say is a film starring my girl, Beanie Feldstein, um, and also Alfie Allen as well in this. This is How to Build a Girl. Um, this is, um, it's, based, it's, it's based on um, Kate the Moran's writing, isn't it? She wrote the screenplay for this. She wrote the book, but I yeah. think she'd already adapted the book into a TV show called Raised with Wolves. There was then an American TV movie remake of that that was written by Diablo Cody, I think. Wow, that's the name I haven't recognized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now she's taking another start at getting this done for the screen. So they've got Feldstein in sort of a fighting with my family setup. Yeah. In a way, she comes from the sort of working class home. She's got uh, another wacky character parent. She's, of course, going to have someone funny as the dad. So they've got Paddy Considine right. as the, uh, the, the sort of music. Dad, you've got Sarah Soleimani as the uh, postnatally depression and uh, depression-stricken uh, mum, and of course it's it's Beanie Feldstein being the sort of fictionalised Caitlin Moran, as it were, going out to become the big writer. Last night, rock and roll meant nothing to me. By midnight, it was the most important thing in the world. Darling, have you ever done an interview before? I've never done anything before. These are the places you come where you can dance and scream and be with your own kind where everything is possible. This is Dolly Watt. She's trouble. Yes, I am trouble. The thing about crossing over to the dark side is that once you're there, it doesn't feel dark at all. My question to you, Johanna, is when did you lose your mind? What do you do when you build yourself, only to realise you built yourself with the wrong things? You rip it up and start again. Right, I've got a question for you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know what it is. Go on. Well, I was, was going to ask this before I heard that clip and, and the faux Brummy accent, but um, 
I, Wolverhampton, I shall have you, Wolverhampton. India. Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton. Now, that is tough for any Brit, let alone an American, to pull off. How does Beanie Feldstein do with that, with the accent? And also, how much did it grate having an American actress play something so many capable British actresses could have stepped in and played? Right, there's a, there's a couple of points there, and they yeah. do all, you, you have hit the nail on the head, right? These yeah. should be the issues with the film. So first of all, having her play the character, it makes sense because Beanie Felsey's natural, natural personality does line up somewhat with Caitlin Moran's sensibilities. She's a perfect fit for this material very much for the sort of wilder serving side of Dolly Wilde, which is the pseudonym that she takes on to become this early 90s music journalist. And there's a lot of deep cuts, by the way, with pop culture in there. Right. Uh, having said that, of course, there is the barrier of the accent. Now, first of all, she does fare a lot better than, say, Bridget Jones, Renee Zellweger. We've got a lot better in effort here. Having said that, of course, there is a natural hokiness to it, and she is spared a lot of the awkwardness for that by the fact that the film, and you can't tell this because you can't see it, you can only hear it, the film has a natural sort of a vaudevillian cadence to it, what we would describe as a slightly panto feeling, a slightly heightened, exaggerated sensibility. There's a lot of surrealism in there, you know, a lot of visual visual gags. She talks to, you know, pictures of her peers and literary heroes on her wall, and they are animated and talk back to her. They're all played by like famous names as Sigmund from Michael Sheen as Sigmund Freud and uh, uh, Jamila Jamil as Cleopatra and people like that just talking back to her through these pictures on the wall. So it's a bit out there, and she's spared a lot of the wackiness because of that. I think you can imagine that if you look at any photos of of um, from the film and Beanie Felsen's rocking like a really deep red <laughs> hair colour. She's wearing what I can only imagine is a top hat or something along those lines. You know, a lot of corsets. Working. A lot of corsets. Well, of course, it's, I mean, you can imagine it being a bit panto and avant-garde mm. to that extent. It's just whether or not it finds that balance of being a film that is enjoyable to that extent or if it's pushing it too hard and becomes ridiculous and annoying. What I would describe this as, if I could call it anything, this is going to sound really reductive. This is basically Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging of the Coke years would basically be the way of describing Hey, I used to love Angus, the Angus film. I can't say the whole... I think you've got the title slightly the wrong way round and I think I would do that the same. Angus Snogging and Perfect Thongs? Yeah, oh. I think that's not Right. <laughs> um, right. So that the Coke years, Caitlin Moran. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. I do think. I mean, don't get me wrong. Two thumbs up for me. It lacks a little bit on the arc front. It phones it in a little bit. Although I will say this about the surrealism of it. This movie is so surreal, so surreal, so surrealistic. In fact, it can actually make Alfie Allen seem plausible as a sort of dreamboat singer songwriter. Make of that what you will. And leading man. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I will leave that to everyone's imagination, I think, and not make a comment on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so that is How to Build a Girl. That is basically Caitlin Moran's life story told through the eyes of Beanie Fel uh, Feldstein. And uh, we've also that's got... On, that's actually on Prime as well, that one. So that isn't even a particular... That isn't one you actually have to pay for. That is just available on Prime from today. Well, there we go. If you've got a quirky teenage girl uh, within your family who's looking for a little bit of a escapism and this might be don't right. show her this because you don't want her to get ideas would be the short <laughs> version <laughs> i was going to say the complete opposite thought it might appeal there we go i'll leave it at that we can argue over that one later um also you've got saint francis which is um out on digital release as well so two really good sort of indie style picks that um will appeal to more of the female crowd this week i think so i think definitely it's one yeah. for the girls this week for sure brilliant so, okay so there we go those are your on digital releases coming up next We've got movies 
on TV with your seven-day guide to everything you can watch. Welcome back to Off Screen. This is your Movies on Freeview, the first part of it. So everything you can watch on your telly box from the comfort of your own home. And I'm telling you what, we're going to kick off with an absolute whopper of an animated movie, which I love to this day and I think is absolutely brilliant. Call it what you want. It's called either Zootopia or Zootropolis, whichever. It's like potato, potato. But wherever you are in the world, it's whichever one applies to you. It's on BBC One at 5pm on Saturday. Van, this is honestly one of the... It's the animated movie that I benchmark other animated movies against. I can understand that. I remember seeing this, because I think we did the press show together about yeah. four years ago, I think. And uh, am I right in thinking this is the one we sat with Alex Zane and just start rolling out of our chairs like Gibbons at the whole yes. sloth at the DMV yeah, the thing? I think. Oh um, I, for me, this movie's like the actual animated equivalent of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, this idea of yeah. you know one world encroaching on the other. I think Onward tried to ape this a little bit this year, but didn't quite manage it as successfully. But I think this is a corker, and it all has to do with that really witty chemistry between, I think it's Jennifer Goodwin as Officer Hops and uh, was it Jason Bateman as the, the Wily Fox. Yeah. I thought, well, that, that was a really great pairing. I really like that sort of noir detective element going on here. I think we have a clip of some of the uh, the procedural elements of uh, is it Captain Idris Elba. Yeah, just, pl- just play it, Van. Just play it. Everyone will love it. <laughs> Man, our detectives are very busy. Please. There's got to be somebody to find my image. Mrs. Otterton. I will find him. Oh, thank you. <laughs> bless you, bless you, little bunny. <laughs> Take this. Find my Emmett. Bring him home to me and my babies, please. Uh-huh. Mrs. Otterton, please wait out here. Of course. Oh, thank you both so much. One second. You're fired. What? Why? Insubordination. Now, I'm going to open this door and you're going to tell that otter you're a former meter maid with delusions of grandeur who will not be taking the case. I just heard Officer Hops is taking the case. Assistant Mayor Bellwether. The Mammal Inclusion Initiative is really starting to pay off. <laughs> mayor Lionheart is just going to be so just. No, no, let's not tell the mayor just yet. And I sent it, and it is done, so I did do that. Right. I always say that when you're going to do an animated feature well, what you need is great visuals to the kids. You need it to mm. be a storyline that appeals to kids, but also has all of those adult Easter eggs, shall we say, the funny bits, the bits that... Oh, there's some make, great ones. Yeah, the ones that make you snigger. And it's got to work well for both adults and children in general and this nails it on every count the fact that as we were saying earlier we were rolling in the aisles laughing at this movie it's beyond any sort of pixar or you know disney kind of Mm. movie that i've watched in recent years that has allowed to evoke that kind of emotion and it's just phenomenal and it's all at a great time, and it's uh, it was 5pm Saturday afternoon on BBC One, which means the perfect time of day to crank up those home cinema systems every single time you get to hear that Shakira song, <laughs> Try Everything, which might be one of my favourite theme songs from any Disney movie ever. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So that is Zootopia on BBC One at 5pm. Start your weekend with a big fat smile on your face, because that's exactly what this movie is going to give you. Right, moving on to Sunday, uh, another big fat smile on your face, actually, is Ryan Reynolds 
McDonald's in the Hitman's Bodyguard on Channel 4 at 9pm. I'm just going to say, I'll, I'll let you talk about this one, Van, but just to start off, I went in thinking this was going to be horrendous. And it really, oh. yeah. No, I mean, we've got, supposedly we were going to have a sequel to this out at the end of the summer that was going to be the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard with uh, Sam Jackson, Ryan Reynolds and Salma Hayek all returning. Yeah. No word on Elodie Young now that the whole Marvel Netflix universe has fallen through. I don't think she has much of a career to currently look forward to. But, uh, say, so this, this is the instigator, this is the original. Ryan Reynolds is the disgraced former bodyguard who is hired as executive protection for a government witness who happens to be the world's foremost assassin, played by Sam Jackson. He has to escort him to testify at The Hague against a war criminal played by Gary Oldman, who has dispatched his goons to attempt to take the pair out. So what you've effectively got is Midnight Run with lots of F-bombs and a sequence in which they have to hike, uh, hatch, uh, hitch a lift with a bunch of nuns across the Alps. Go with God. This man's killed over 150 people. 250, easy. So, like, when I when this movie came out, I remember thinking this is kind of the height of Reynolds' fame, sort of post-Deadpool, things like that. And I was like, mm. oh, no, he signed himself on to essentially that middle-of-the-road, almost buddy cop comedy-style movie that's going to just tank. And I'm really, I'm really pleased. Like you mentioned, an amazing cast in there: Samuel L. Jackson, Salma Hayek, Gary Oldman, alongside, it, and all of them together make a really enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's quite a fun, flighty, foul-mouthed, you know, action thriller. I really enjoyed. it. I mean, there's a lot of fun to be had when Salma Hayek enters the fray. When you get a, a hint of the relationship between her and Sam Jackson, I'm really looking forward to a sequel just to see more of that. Yeah. To be really honest, uh, but yeah, it worked for me on the action sequences. I had a great time. There's a lot of fun uh, going on with it. A lot of laughs there's some uh, some actually surprisingly funny action beats within the sort of fight scenes uh, lots of very yeah. indiana jones-esque humor yes. utilitarian yeah. making do and improvising with things uh, great time you can see that for yourself sunday night 9 p.m on channel four which of course takes us over to uh, to monday and an action were you asking me about this you haven't seen metro I believe. no i haven't but it is on itv4 at 10 35 p.m so a little bit of a late one for a monday but you were saying like i i, I had no idea where to place this in terms of genres you mentioned comedy so this is an action thriller from 1997 this is after eddie murphy staged his first comeback so eddie murphy staged his first comeback with uh the nutty professor in 1996 and then followed it up with this. Now, the expectation... Uh, the, sorry, 97 or 98, because I think there's this and Dr. Doolittle around a similar time. So the idea was Eddie Murphy was trying to balance the family-friendly entertainer he would become with an attempt at getting back to being the R-rated action comedy star that he was. And that's what this film represented. It didn't pan out. It's become a bit of a cult hit on video and on, on DVD, Laserdisc, things like that. It's, it's you know echoed through the years, but it faded away at the time. He plays Scott Roper, a San Francisco hostage negotiator, who finds himself drawn into an investigation into the murder of his partner and having to rely on his quick mouth and even sharper skills to take down a murderous, psychotic villain known as, uh, oh God, as, as Corder, and he's played by Michael Wincott from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hey! 
Now that is one for the front page. Now what are you doing coming down here and torturing me? You know I'm in love with you. Don't stop. Tell me not to stop. Look, Ronnie, that baseball player that you're running around with, that guy is bad news. Ronnie, let's think about this. He makes about two million a year. Really nice guy. And he worships me. Well, I worship you too. Scott, you worship the bookie. No, forget that. Listen, what's this guy's name? Greg. Well, I read that Greg's knees are blown out. You know, in 10 years, you're going to be pushing him around in a wheelchair. A lot of hills in this town. You know what I think? I think you only want me back because you can't have me. Now, I think, I think, you want to know what I think? <laughs> I think, how has there been a movie from 1997 starring Eddie Murphy that I haven't watched? What is going on? <laughs> I think if you watch it, you'll have a surprisingly good time with it. It works yeah. It works pretty well. There's, there's some pretty decent one-liners. There's some great Eddie Murphy firing off like he does kind of moments. He's got a good sort of buddy interplay with Michael Rappaport as a SWAT team guy who wants to train up to be, yeah, he wants to train up to be a SWAT, uh, hostage negotiator himself. So Eddie Murphy has to teach him all his skills and things. There's some quite good stuff in there, but a lot of it is just how menacing a villain Michael Wincott is. And anyone who's seen, you know, Three Musketeers from 93, The Crow, things like that, knows just how delicious a villain he can be. But say, you can see that for yourself Monday night, ITV4 at 10.35. I recommend it. It's a good good time, I think. Brilliant. Okay, so coming up next, we're going to be back with you on the couch with even more movies to watch on Freeview, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're going to keep you on that couch because where else would you be at this present moment in time, obviously? But uh, we're going to keep you there with some more offerings on Freeview. Over to Tuesday night then, Miss Perfect. I love a good horror remake. As you know, the schlockier, the better. The trashier, even better. Yeah. Where better to go then than back to the back to the well of Straw Dogs, the 2011 remake, which is showing Tuesday night on the Horror Channel at 9pm. This is a remake of the, uh, the Sam Peckinpah movie from the 70s with, uh, that was Dustin Hoffman in the original i forget who played the, the female lead um, but it took place in britain in the original takes place in mississippi in the remake which stars as the terrified couple i think it's james marsden and kate bosworth and as the leader of their would-be vicious attackers alexander skarsgård the idea here is that during uh, a, a brutal sexual assault um, on his wife a husband must set out for uh, vengeance and assert his uh, well let's just say latent homicidal instincts you're done Something. Maybe. If you had said something, maybe you'd I was done trying something. to get them to talk until you pulled you quiet. Okay. Easy. going to ask you like how does this stack up against the original because i know a lot of horror fans big fans of straw dogs the original and mm. it's quite iconic so to then get it remade take it out of its original setting in the uk and take it over to the states it feels like a franchise based move from my my very basic thinking about this movie well you know neil neil leblute neil leblute tried it in uh, 2006 with the wicker man and the results have gone on to become let's just say the subject of cinematic lore <laughs> the bees <laughs> 
Not the bees. But this one, I will say, is academically a better movie than the Wicker Man uh, remake was. It's not a patch on the original, obviously, but none of these films ever are. Um, you look at this next to some next to something like uh, the remake of Last House on the Left, for instance, which had all the potential to be something you know more of its time. This has the same opportunity, and it really just feels like it could have just been made then. It's the same thing's been made with modern equipment, but the, the production value feels about the same. They've not really reinvented anything with it. The only thing I'll say about the remake is there's something about the performances that makes it all feel a little bit less morally reprehensible this time around. Just, they feel like more active participants in the instigation of the initial plot, which is a very weird way to play it, and I can't figure out how Kate Bosworth as an actress would do it that way. Yeah. But it's there, and you know what? Skarsgård gives good psycho, so if you want to dispose 100 minute long take on a 70s classic and you don't want to watch an old 70s movie you know what there's at least this and it's also got James Woods in it which I, I'm a big fan of so um... I don't even remember James Woods being in this James Woods is a, this is before he sucked yeah yeah. well I, know, I like James Woods but he plays Tom, the character Tom Hedden in this if that rings the bell I'm not sure I don't no. know, I've had, off the top of it, I haven't seen it for a few years I'm going to watch there this again now there you go it's knowledge for you to make sure that you re-watch it because it is obviously back on our screens and that kicks off your Tuesday as well. So that is the 2011 version of Straw Dogs on the Horror Channel at 9pm. Moving on to Wednesday, I know Van is very excited to talk about this. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. It's called Gran Torino, ITV4. A late one at 11.40pm. Might be one for you to press record on. But when you do press record, you'll be glad that you've got this in your in your portfolio for forever, basically. So it's it's about a guy called... Um, well, it's Walt, uh, Walt. Walt Kowalski. I mean, there's always a Kowalski in... <laughs> it's specifically because he is specifically meant to be a Polish-American immigrant. I think he's like a first-generation Polish-American immigrant, and that's very specific to the character. Yeah, and his his neighbour, Thal, uh, basically steals his uh, 1972 Gran Torino, so he basically helps him to reform. Um, and he gets involved in a feud with a local gang leader and then saves Thal from them. It's 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 a cl- I think it is quite a classic um, Clint Eastwood film, isn't it? It's it's got a lot of elements to it that, that sort of make it feel like that. It very much has, including its very own make my day moment. What the hell is this? Get up. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Are you crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah. I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house. And I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. We used to stack like you five feet high in Korea. Use you for sandbags. Okay. But you better watch your back. So this this movie came out in 2008, and I think this is right. Is this Clint Eastwood's last acting role? I know he did a few. He's done a few in the years since. I think there's like the trouble with the curve and things like that have come in years mm-hmm. since. Because I've been reviewing since 2011. I know I reviewed at least two Clint Eastwood movies. I wonder uh, this when when this began life, there was a rumor that this was actually the the drama that was going to end the uh, the Dirty Harry character. This was going to be what became oh. Dirty Harry uh, in a sort of way that we would now call the Logan movie or something. Yeah. 
anything yeah. like that, that that was going to be. Uh, it's not, but it's absolutely brilliant. Amazing performance from Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> Harrison Ford mode, Clint Eastwood, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, great, a great supporting cast of relative unknowns in there as members of the Hamon community. You don't really ever see depicted in movies. And it was interesting to see that side of, uh, of Asian culture actually explored in a mainstream movie. Um, the way it deals with race, I think, is actually quite brilliant. And the way they utilize you know, his age and generational gap to overcome it, I think that's really, really good. Uh, if you've never seen Gran Torino, absolutely see Gran Torino. And yeah. you can on Wednesday on ITV4 at 11.40 p.m. Yeah. It also stars his son as well, Scott Eastwood, as well. Plays yes, Scott is in this because yeah. he starts appearing in all his dad's movies, doesn't he, around yeah, he this does. time? It's a nice way to get your foot in the door for acting. <laughs> Mm, indeed. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So on Thursday, we've got the film The Post on 4-7 at 9pm. Now, if you guys um, were fans of films like Spotlight, you will have been excited about this when it came out. It kind of follows a similar sort of feel. It stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Slightly pipped to the post um, from all the awards buzz. From to the post. Uh, Actually, I'll credit you with that one, Van, because you did. we did have a little chat whilst we were off air about did, that. Hang on, did I say that and not realise? Yeah. Damn it, I'm slipping in my old age. Well, this is a Steven Spielberg <laughs> film. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's, a, it's set in the 1970s, so it feels very retro. It follows the publisher, Catherine, and her in-editor, Chief Ben, who basically, they put their careers on the line to uncover mm. like this secret about the Vietnam War, which was going on for decades. Decades and it was it was the Pentagon Papers and how that all came to precede Watergate and what would effectively be the end of the Nixon administration. But it wasn't a job that came easy by any stretch of the imagination. It's not the full report, but it's over four thousand pages of it. Huh? Are these in order? I don't think so. There are no page numbers. Yeah, that's where the top secret stamps were. My source had to cut them off. We're supposed to retire on Friday. Ben, how are we supposed to comb through 4,000 pages? They're not even loosely organized. had three months. There's no way we can possibly get this right. We got less than eight hours. We could shoot for City, then we'd have ten. Hey, 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 hey. For the last six years, we've been playing catch-up. And now, thanks to the President of the United States, we have the goods. We don't have any competition. There's dozens of stories in here. The Times has barely scratched the surface. We have 10 hours till the deadline, so we dig in. I can see the appeal to make this, obviously, for Spielberg, for Hanks and Meryl Streep, because this has got all the, the ingredients there for, for an Oscar triumph. The film doesn't quite uh, quite get there, though, because, like you said, it, it was it was picked to that post here by, uh, by Spotlight, which is an incredible movie. This just is not Spotlight. This isn't half as good as Spotlight. But you know what? It's still a pretty solid drama, and it's a solid enough Spielberg movie. I would call it one of the lesser, more forgettable Spielberg movies, but I say that as someone that would put things like like catch me if you can in that category anyway no uh, i think that's fair though i found this quite forgettable i sort of looked at it on our list and was like oh yeah i do remember that film you remember it but yeah yeah but do you know what it didn't do too badly it did go it's uh, 19 major nominations in 20, 2018 so you know yeah. across the board so it did all right but that is one to watch if you do like films like spotlight it's definitely one for you so that's a thursday night now i'm gonna kick off into friday here with your big friday night movie and this is one that's i suppose especially uh poignant because it's it's our it's our van's birthday on for the next friday so um this, this will be my tv viewing on my 
my of a birthday. <laughs> yeah, so happy birthday to you and enjoy Blade 2. Oh, did a little haiku there for you. <laughs> oh, you did indeed. So Blade 2, which is on uh, Five Star Friday night at 9pm, and I, th- I think everyone agrees is the best of the Blade trilogy. I mean, the Blade trilogy obviously was responsible for pretty much igniting what we now know as the, the comic, the current iteration of the comic book movie regeneration in popular culture and the whole movie subgenre. This was direct, written by and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Is not anywhere near as mental as it could have been because at one, start, one time this had a cameo by Michael Jackson as himself as a vampire that apparently they filmed and uh, it was originally called Blade 2 Blood Hunt. It sees Blade team up with the vampires, with the, an elite team of, of, of anti-Blade vampires, like special commandos that have been recruited and trained specifically to hunt him. He now has to lead them to take out Jared Nomak, the leader of a new subsect of the vampiric strain known as the Reapers. From now on, we work as a unit. You've been taking orders from me. Any questions? catch the hunter you start with the prey we're talking all the night places where vampires congregate blood banks safe houses make it a better so what's first I love this movie. This has got Norman Reedus in it, like pre-Walking yeah. Dead, Norman Reedus in it. It's got Ron Perlman as a vampire, which is always awesome, because if you've got Del Toro, you you got to have Ron Perlman. But uh, great movie. I love this one. I also just want to say, it's also got Chris Christopherson in it as well. It has, it has indeed. And the villain is none other than a then villain of every action movie going, Luke Goss. <laughs> It's the Prosperity Brothers doing it again. <laughs> Indeed. But I, I can't recommend that one highly enough. That is a hell of an actioner to watch on a Friday. It's the ultimate beer and pizza movie. I wouldn't say you particularly need to have seen the first one to, to get it. They kind of have a previously on Blade kind of bit at the beginning, but it's got a hell of an opening sequence with a bunch of vamps on motorcycles and Blade doing his backflips. Absolutely unmissable stuff. Guillermo del Toro doing a very popcorn-friendly action flick as he would years later with Pacific Rim. Do not miss it. Five star, 9 p.m. next Friday night. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're keeping you, as ever, on the couch during lockdown. Yes, lockdown is still happening, people. Don't forget it. So we're keeping you right here with your small screen offerings. And this time it's DVD, Blu-rays and streaming. We're going to kick off with a new Woody Allen film. What is it? Three weeks since his last? (laughs) (laughs) Funnily enough, that is about the turnaround time for a Woody Allen movie, if we're being really honest. Um, Actually, funnily enough, that is one of the predominant issues with A Rainy Day in New York, which is obviously this latest one, which stars Timothy Shaw. And the usual requisite all star cast and Diego Luna and people like that, Selena Gomez. It, this is a really unlikable effort. This does feel like Woody Allen just had a weekend free in New York and thought, oh, I'll just get the gang together. We'll do a little Amdram, film it, whack it in, in, whack it on Amazon Prime. What's the worst that could happen? And then it turned out that, you know, certain allegations, certain old allegations came to light again. Well. And uh, this time we've apparently cancelled Woody Allen, Wood, Woody Allen, Woody Allen for good. And uh, not not his sheep-based equivalent, Woolly Allen. No, Woody Allen. Um, he's apparently now been cancelled for good. And so he, you know, Amazon let him have the rights to this back. It's now out. It's been released independently through, I think, Signature Entertainment. And it's, it's not any good. I'm not going to lie. It feels like, you know, boy 
boilerplate, basic-ass Woody Allen, to be honest. I feel like there's, like, a kudos to be had for any actor. Like, you, you do put on your sort of bucket list as an actor to go, I want to start <laughs> exactly, Woody yeah. Allen. And to be honest, he always has such a, a plethora of people starring in his mm. movies that it's not that hard to get on there if you're of any sort of decent calibre. <laughs> Well, I don't know, because half the cast of this movie have since come out and said, oh, we regret starring in it. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you didn't at the time, pal. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, <laughs> so on to something I'm, I'm sure nobody involved in feels any regret for. It's Trolls World Tour, which is, of course, special to us living in COVID world, because this was the first movie that had its theatrical release scrapped in favour of a premium VOD release. And, well, I can say that I know firsthand, thanks to every person in my life who has children that trolls world tour is apparently the greatest animated movie ever made i'd like to thank mary mufti i'd like to thank elizabeth tasker it's been a, a wonderful experience being exposed to nothing but trolls world tour thanks to every child i know uh, which is of course the sequel to the is it 2016 yeah. adaptation of the yeah. trolls franchise for animated feature film form featuring the voices of justin timberlake and anna kendrick and in this movie the pop world of the trolls goes to war defending other musically themed kingdoms of the trolls from the biggest villain of them all the world of rock only rock trolls are allowed back here well it's funny you should mention that because we are genuine hard rockers one two three four Cool. Hurry up! The show's about to start, man. Queen Barb's about to go on stage. So, if you haven't got kids. If you haven't got kids, spare yourself. I didn't mind the first one. It's worth saying, I didn't mind the first I movie. I could not uh, yeah. bear this movie. I struggled through it because <laughs> it was one we had to watch. But do you know what? In terms of video on demand, it smashed it, didn't it? It did. It really, this is like one of the most successful ones ever, isn't it? It's like Universal's most successful like of all time, yeah. I think, in terms this, of VOD. This might, be, this might be given the the pedestal of being the game-changing movie <laughs> for people thinking that cinemas may lo- no longer be the way to watch things because video on hmm. demand. Can this could be a treasure. We don't know. And it could yeah. be because of Trolls World Tour. I don't know what to say on that. <laughs> Well, actually, I know Scoob got moved to VOD because of this movie, and I know SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run or whatever, that got pulled, and that's going to uh, CBS All Access or whatever it is next year. But, uh, you know, apparently kids love it. It's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, For my money, it's no Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but that's neither here nor there. And I will say, I think Ugly Dolls is a better, more colourful, and deeply more emotionally enriching movie. That's one for the kids. You take that for free. So, on to streaming. Let's talk about uh, what's coming to streaming this week. On Amazon Prime, on Tuesday the 28th, a movie I know you'll be more than familiar with. It is the 1998, 1997-1998 Julia Roberts rom-com classic that is My Best Friend's Wedding. Take it away, perfect. Well, I I mean, I just think that's such a stereotype to think that I would love this Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz film as much as I absolutely do. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. I was going to say, but don't you really? Don't I really? I mean, when um, Cameron Diaz in this actually tries to sing in it, there's that moment. <laughs> and she can't sing. She's like been well known to, to say, actually, in real life, I absolutely cannot sing. And you see that in full version. It's a great movie. It's, it's a girls movie. This is your Friday night film with the girls. Like right now, if you can watch it on a projector screen in your garden on a nice Friday night and have the girls round at a socially distanced uh, pace and have some bottles of wine to share between you, it's the perfect movie to do something like that with. An oldie but a goodie is all I'm going to say. Um, absolutely true. I think it made uh, made a lot of women fall strangely in love with Rupert Everett, if memory serves, I think, yeah. around the time. Well, what a dead end that is. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you're barking at the wrong tree on that one. But I will say this, if you watch this movie now, it is insanely problematic when you get to certain elements of the logistics of it. Isn't everything from the late 90s, early 2000s, let's be honest. Well, I mean, just on one level, there's this whole, oh, if we're not married by this age, we'll get together thing. They're 29. <laughs> that's nothing that is nothing but you know I think we all made packs with our mates about that <laughs> hey, they ridicule Cameron Diaz for being like so young she's 20 oh my goodness yeah okay, you know, there's this whole thing about her giving up college no, for her marriage and stuff and, oh. stop ruining it for me it's a classic okay, right. we're going to move on right because move on. Right, move on. you and I are going to get into fisticuffs about this uh, fair, fair. <laughs> um, moving on to Shia LaBeouf now there was a little bit of contention over this next movie which is Honey There was Yeah because I said I've seen this and then I went no I haven't seen this but I have seen a Shia LaBeouf film with the word honey in it and that was American Honey which uh, was out a few years ago and I saw it at the London I think that was the one that might have been the one before this so he's gone from American Honey to Honey Boy so it was a honey girl in the last one this time it's Honey Boy this is based on his own upbringing as well so he plays his own father in a movie that can only be described as well public therapy, therapy. <laughs> as a young you know there is a young boy playing his own younger self child actor extraordinaire and it's about the sort of cantankerous, cantankerous relationship he has with his father his, his father's substance abuse his relationship with his mother etc do you know what not bad pretty good performance from Shia LaBeouf you, okay. once you get over the innate vanity of it it all makes sense and I think I said this at the time when we talked about it if there's even a nugget of truth in some some of the things his dad is depicted as getting up to in this movie, I think we can safely finally explain away all of Shia LaBeouf's weirdness. Yeah, why he likes to wear a paper bag on his head. Um, exactly. Uh, Lucas, Hedges, Lucas Hedges is in this movie as well, isn't he? Lucas Hedges is in it as the sort of adult incarnation of Shia LaBeouf. So there is that sort of, a, it is set in two time periods. He's in uh, rehab in his sort of 20s, reflecting back on his childhood years. So uh, you, see, you can find all this for yourself on Amazon Prime. This is on Thursday, the third I think it's worth checking out if you want a good sort of festival friendly indie drama given mainstream credibility by the likes of Lucas Hedges Shia LaBeouf check this out there's some great performances in there right next up and this is this next one is on Amazon Prime from Friday the 31st of July it is Knives Out a film that both Van and I raved about for since when, when it came out earlier this year uh, this was I think it was just before Christmas I wow. think it was screening or something like that but <clears throat> this was a hell of a time this was basically an old school Agatha Christie novel brought to you know, glorious technical life by none other than Star Wars The Last Jedi and, and Looper Helmer Ryan Johnson it's all about it's, it's a random sort of it's a murder mystery everyone's the suspect everyone's a star name and investigating it all is oof, the tour de force the powerhouse that is Benoit Blanc private investigator extraordinaire as played by Daniel Craig thank you all for getting together like this it isn't Legally necessary, but I thought because you're all in town and some of you are leaving soon. Excuse me. 
Uh, I, I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to gently request that you all stay in town until the investigation is completed. Yeah, well, he's gently requesting, but I'm going to have to make that in order. No one move until we figure this all out. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. Mr. Stevens, uh, you may continue. Who needs to be James Bond when you can be Ben Wahlberg? <laughs> um, well, again, that sequel, apparently. I can't wait. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Um, this is like Cluedo uh, mm. on the big screen for you. It is so much fun. So this is the thing that you want to tune into. It's on Amazon Prime from Friday the 31st of July. That rounds up our home entertainment and video on demand, DVD, Blu-rays and streaming offerings for you. So it's another week. Another week full of great movies to watch on any way, shape or form that you fancy uh, except going to the cinema so <laughs> um, for for us this is a, a wrap up for this week we'll be back with you with more great movies for seven, your seven day guide to everything movies next week and for now I've been Bex Perfect I've been Van Connor and we shall return 